coming to you live from inside the globe, perched high atop the Bugle Planet building in sunny Gotham City. It's Hey Kids Comics with two guys who are always ready to seduce the innocent, your hosts, Andrew Farmer and the Jedi Cole Houston. And now it's time for Hey Kids Comics. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. We are on the downslope to episode 666 now after we did episode 333 last week. So we figured we'd uh, we'd give you guys a little bit of um, a little bit of that old uh, Hey Kids Comics razzle dazzle um, tonight. I am uh, I'm Andrew Farmer. With me as always, the Jedi Cole Houston. Cole, you out there? I am out here. Yeah, you are. Buddy. I am really out. You're here. way out there. Um, we have a guest on the show tonight that we have been remiss not to have on more often. Uh, friend of the show, friend of uh, the conventions that we do, um, host in his own right. PJ, are you out there? PJ Dunn joins us tonight. I am, I am, uh, I am. The Vega Bomber is here. Boom. There he is. Oh, yeah. I'm, I could not be more excited. If, if you guys don't know uh, the Vega Bomber, you should. Because the kind soul... He'll smile you while he knocks the taste out of your mouth. That's just what we learned from right. the show. Um, also, just awesome guy and and brilliant film critic. Um, always has been. I remember getting interviewed by you for I, what year? God, it had to have been four years ago. Was it four or five Easily. years ago when I when we? I did think your... so. For the Foskers, the yeah. fanboy Oscars. Yeah. Man, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, I've had the good fortune to uh, be on the Foskers a few times, and it's always a blast. Yeah, yeah, especially those great categories and the fact that, hey, what do fans actually think about movies versus these other guys who have other agendas and shills and all that other stuff? None of that stuff on the Foskers, man, the real fanboy stuff. It's funny you should mention that because (laughs) uh, (laughs) we are all professionals here. Uh, We, tonight are going to talk about a fanboy's perspective on a particularly galvanizing film. Um, you knew we were going to get to it sooner or later, so here it is. Cole, what are we talking about tonight? Hello, yes, indeed. We are talking about... <laughs> no, I, in all seriousness, because uh, we are... We don't even have to answer the question why it's so serious. Uh, this is Hey Kids Comics, number 334, No Laughing Matter. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Now... Tonight's episode, we have a we have a an episode. It, it is an episode, not an arc, right? About, yeah, this is. We're going to talk about Joker. Yes, but we have an not arc coming a up. Joker to talk about, or the Joker? We're talking about Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. Right. We have an episode coming up though that's going to cover all of the televised or or movie based. Uh, Joker. We are that going is to talk this. about every Joker that's ever been on the big screen. But that's not this. Uh, but that's not this. That is the upcoming Hey Kids Comics 90-Minute Giant. <laughs> <laughs> number one, the men laughed. We've been doing this show for how long? And then you said num- number one? Yeah, this is the no, the first ever 90-Minute Giant that we're going to publish. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right, all right. So the Joker. We waited a long time. News, the, the run-up to this movie was more crazy than I've ever seen a a comic book culture based movie ever ever um, PJ being a film critic mm-hmm. 
how did you feel in the run up to this thing? And and a I think it's safe to say a, a pop culture slash you know comic book slash you know nerds nerd. Like what was the what was the run up for this like for you? You know, I was when I heard the initial don't go to this movie because it's going to create problems and all that stuff. I was, I found myself being annoyed because that's exactly what they did to another film called straight out of Compton where they said, well, because it's about NWA, that means there's going to be a lot of shootouts in the theater because gangbangers are going to go see it to which none of that happened. Right. And so when I first heard the stories of, Oh, this is going to create gunplay with people wanting to be like the Joker. I thought, okay, that's ridiculous. But then at the same time, I also knew, they probably are going to make a pretty good movie here because it's already touching people's nerves. Exactly. And so because of that, we're gonna, people are going to go see it just to see if that's even true, if that danger might even happen. So it might even have worked out better for the film. But well, a I lot would, of was, uh, there was a suicidal critic who complained that he wasn't murdered. <laughs> He's like, I went there with the expectation. Yeah. <laughs> he actually uh, felt like something had gone terribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I told people, if you go see it, you might even see Jimmy Hoffa there in the uh, audience. <laughs> so go, go see this film because, you know. Did you go to the D.B. Cooper screening? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, and, you know, I even made a comment on the show about that. And it's it's because it's because the times we live in are different that I was slightly concerned. Um, and by that, I mean... The people that would react negatively or, or feel – I should say this this is even more appropriate. The people that would feel empowered by this film mm-hmm. are not the same people that they thought were going to feel empowered by Straight Outta Compton. You know, mm-hmm. um, And that was my concern. I couldn't be happier that my, that my slight concern was unfounded. Um, yes. And, and it was – the thing is it was a reasonable concern. Because, like you said, we live in a society where there, while I, in fact, PJ and I talked about this yesterday, while I do not think there is any direct corollary between cinematic or television violence and actual violence, I will concede that there are, there are and always have been and always will be a segment of the population who find something to hang their own particular idiom on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this that's movie true. set him up for that. Go ahead. I'm sorry, PJ. Yeah, no, I was going to say that's true. I, I remember back when Van Halen released a song called Jump, and they were like, is that going to make people want to jump off bridges and buildings and, <laughs> and suicide themselves? And I remember back then it was stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, oh, actually, I like to watch, I like to listen to Jump. And uh, and I like to go see uh, Straight Outta Compton and all this stuff just because something might happen because you might think that something's going to happen that really isn't going to happen but as long as you believe that it might happen you could talk about it on the internet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, and in fact, you know, prior to the film's release, there were naturally all of this speculation about what it was, and it's like wait and see the damn film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, but again, uh, before the, you cast versions, the but I think culturally, especially from kind of the geek nerd culture that's that we've seen over the past ten years, really come into its own in in ways that I never thought I was going to. You know, we we've discussed it so many times in the show. Never thought we were going to have a Marvel Cinematic Universe or get a Justice League movie 
or you know any number of of things that we have now at our disposal have you know a series of ongoing you know television shows based on comic book characters that have been on the air for nine years you know we never thought we were going to have that in any kind of series exactly so the evolution of the power of that medium i think coming to a head in a way that there were news stories about this quote-unquote comic book movie that was going to incite you know violence in a certain subset of people was pretty amazing to me that that was that that actually happened we're talking about a, a character that was portrayed by cesar romero where he put pancake <laughs> makeup over his beard like you know and now we and now we have this so we've come a long way <laughs> yes we have and, and i think that this is good because well when i thought about the film itself the idea that that Batman doesn't have to make an appearance in the movie for the movie to be great is delicious alone. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. In now, fact, I, I went into it with zero anticipation of a connection to Batman whatsoever. Yes. And yes. this is a better Joker origin story than damn Gotham. I would agree. And I like the idea that when they said, okay, now who can we get to play this character? Cause it's a titular role, of course. And you're saying, well, who could do this? Because, you know, there is such a big buildup around Heath Ledger, which I still love his Joker forever. But the idea of saying, who could do this? And them nailing it right. Like, Joaquin Phoenix is the perfect person to do this. I don't think you can get it nearly as strange as he got it or as accurate. And then the fact that he was willing to lose all that weight, get skinny, get gaunt. He was doing everything to sell the idea that you're not looking at Joaquin Phoenix. You're actually looking at joker yes and i i here's here's something that you know i i wanted to pose to you guys from from jump street from the top of this thing right and this is going to be spoiler heavy it's in all of the text oh yeah. the posts it's in the you know the in text. case you hadn't read it right this is <laughs> spoiler so, heavy this is at what point it starts to become spoiler heavy so you know without without delving too much into the plot of the movie <laughs> after seeing the movie i was a little off put that they included batman and and bruce and the waynes at all yeah i didn't think it needed to be in the movie period agreed why why do you think they felt the need to put that in the film well you know batman is their most dc's most celebrated character is batman and so they just couldn't resist putting in that and putting in that certain scene that we all can expect about bruce wayne and his family and so i think they just felt like everything has to be connected which i don't agree that it all everything has to be connected but i think for some strange reason all right let's just put this in there because people might get upset if we don't put it in here as much as they'll get upset that we did put it in here and they just kind of let it roll you know but i agree with you i didn't think that needed it if i was going to say there was a negative to the movie and this would be a very nitpicky thing to try to get there i would have to say that the inclusion of their version of thomas wayne and how they did him and everything else i don't think i needed i think i already got who he was and i just wanted to see more of his pathos and the the journey he goes i i was i'm kind of of a of two minds on the inclusion of the waynes i was absolutely delighted that it was established early on this is taking place in gotham Mm -hmm. and 
you know, that was unexpected. I thought this was just going to be like Catwoman, where it's its own thing. It's New only, York or... Only good, you know. It, but, <laughs> you know, it's like if Catwoman had been a good movie. Uh, <laughs> I know that's a stretch, and I'm really sorry for having to challenge people's imaginations to that level. But um, I, I think, though, that while not necessary it wasn't belaboring to the narrative. I, yeah. And having the encounter with a young Bruce Wayne adds a little extra creep factor. It, it's, it was very much uh, Robin Williams in one hour photo. It, mm. That's a good, that is a, that is a good line to draw. That is, that is, yes, I would agree with that. I would agree that that is a, that is a good corollary to make. But, you know, for me, it just didn't feel you could have used another company. I realized that you were trying to build the mythology of Gotham a little bit. Right. And and so to do that, the city's built on it would be like doing something in a period piece in New York and not doing the Rockefellers or, you know, it, you have to you have to include the Waynes. But I felt like setting it up. It, it felt like a setup to a, to include Batman in a in a movie that stood alone on its own without needing to include a Batman. Yeah. Agreed. It was, and, and it was nice that it was... It, oh, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Cole. No, I, I also feel that it included a proto-Batman in a way that was more agreeable to me than had it been a, you know, Gotham teen Bruce or preteen Bruce or... Uh, you know, it's it's catching Bruce at just that moment, that flashpoint, before he becomes obsessed. Does it rob the criminal element that drives Batman? Yes. But perhaps it also suggests that this is a Bruce Wayne who doesn't become Batman. Right. Because he's growing yeah. up in a Gotham City where this Joker mania took hold for however long it might have taken hold after the events in the film. Ultimately, you're given a scenario where it's open to interpretation. Is this the origin of Batman? And the only real complaint I have is what the hell is up with Martha uh, Wayne and her crappy ass costume jewelry. (laughs) As Catherine has pointed out in every incarnation of the uh, oh god uh, the death the, the infamous yeah. death scene yes the uh, Frank Miller pearls falling of the pearls by the way Frank Miller brand pearls are for shit yeah okay yeah, I know why <laughs> because because Lacey says the same thing to me every time something is, <laughs> this happens so please inform us as to why it's costume jewelry and not legitimate yeah uh, I have a justification for that because they were frankly out in downtown Gotham they didn't bring the good stuff. Well, why? But see, yeah. that's what's crazy. But the thing about it is, people don't realize that fine pearls that rich, rich people own don't come unstrung. They're all individually knotted. See, what struggles? So the struggle I have with that is several, several. Number one, you're Bruce Wayne. You've got money. Why are you walking down an alley 
unprotected when you know Gotham is for for us, right? Like that doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. He wouldn't go, hey, let me just walk down this ah uh, this alley where you know this is Gotham and things are really really bad and people well, know yeah. who I am because I'm rich without protection. Nobody the, the thing that is that this was, this is was the one interpretation that sent them down the alley with good reason. Yeah, they didn't mm. leave the house for good reason. There was a full-on riot going on, and they yeah. decided to take in a movie. Yeah. Let's well, the thing about it is, when were you going to get to see Zorro the Gay Blade again? It's kind of like going to the Alamo Draft House and they're showing some old class. Oh, look, it's, you know, it's Wizard of Oz on the big screen. I wasn't even born yet. This will be my only opportunity to see it on the big screen. That sort of thing. I love the fact there's yeah. a story. I have a personal story about Zorro the Gay Blade involving <laughs> my parents getting tricked into going to see it. <laughs> so when it was Zorro the Gay Blade, which is the weirdest version of the movie that they go see, you know, because in every version it's Zorro, you know, some some iteration of Zorro in every in every version. I think Ben Affleck's probably went and saw the uh, Antonio Banderas version. Um, but, but the thing is, in the uh, the Nolan version, they went to see, see some weird, like, deflator mouse on yeah. acid or something. They went to, like, and in uh, Tim Burton, they uh, went to see Footlight Frenzy. Did they? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, you see, I think the other, so the other point, getting back to also about the Waynes being considered in this, how it took me out of the movie for that second, which is why I'll probably make arguments for why I didn't necessarily need to be there, is that that version of Joker, I can't vision beating up the version of Batman that I see because in the movie, obviously, this Joker could offer nobody anything physically. And he's not diabolical enough like the one we see in Dark Knight to already have like a, you know, a hand grenade and things like this. This is a Joker who's just now finding himself. So to me, as I see this creation of the Joker and then you add Batman to it, I'm going, Batman has no problem beating this Joker up real bad. So it kind of, in that thought process, made me go, well, I really wish they just left that out because I'm just enjoying Joker, you know? uh, Allow me to retort. But no, you will. But seriously, (laughs) uh, Given your the argument, which is, is you know, I, I'm not going to uh, try to dispel your argument because I do agree in principle that you, you know, you're on to something there because it, it ultimately wasn't necessary. But for right. me personally, it didn't detract anything. Uh, however, given the age of Bruce, which is pretty much comic accurate age for the death of his parents in this film you've got a good 15 to 18 years of development for your Joker. Joker can become Joker yeah, but because like he's been afforded. Yeah, five years old by then. <laughs> right, right, Well, right, the thing yeah. is, but he doesn't look it. Uh, that's the thing, and that's, I think, why we're all so envious. That vat of chemicals <laughs> just completely... See, that's what I mean by whenever you have to combine everything and try to make everything connected to everything, that's part of the issue because I'm going to connect it to what I've seen of Batman. So I'm going to be thinking about the Batman that shows up in Batman Begins and Dark Knight and then that Joker and all that stuff. And so having all that in my head, it was harder for me to connect and really make that kid be really like Bruce because I'm knowing this version of the Joker, even if he gets better, I I, I just felt like – I just don't see that Joker beating 
the real Batman that I, I know he's going to become because of the way he trains and how manic he is. Plus, it also makes him very old. So just for me, like I said, not everybody, but just for me, it took me out for a second. Again, does, does that make the movie bad? No, it's it's fine. I'm just saying I don't know that it needed any of that. Now, you could have mentioned the Waynes, but I don't know you needed to show us once again how his parents died. We all know how his parents died and all that stuff. And so I, I think because of that, it made me go somewhere I wouldn't have gone if it was never in there in the first place. There was an interesting twist in this one. If you look closely, you can see a radioactive spider that was a hair's breadth from biting Thomas Wayne. It felt to me like studio notes. It felt like studio meddling. I'm glad that Mm -hmm. they handled it well. I wish they wouldn't. Honestly, if it was my picture, don't show it. Have them duck down. We're going to be introduced to the Waynes. We're going to be introduced to Bruce. Fine. Have them duck Mm -hmm. down the alley, and that's all. Don't give yeah. us any more than that. We don't need to see it again. Like it, it felt like it felt like studio notes. Um, but that's that's fine. So, mm-hmm. what about what about this? So, okay, I'm just gonna ask this question because I got two really smart people, you know, <laughs> sitting in a ta- in a room with me right now. What the? Okay, just damn it. What what of this movie actually happened, and what didn't? That's my question. And well, I've been see, talking about that for a month. That uh, is a good point because one of the other things I came away from this with was you get to see from your Joker character's perspective that not everything that we have been given is necessarily accurate and that a lot of it is his perception. So it leaves a lot of where exactly did anything, did this, did any of the other stuff that you're pretty sure happened happen? And it becomes that whole Alan Moore uh, multiple choice origin of the Joker. Mm -hmm. But for the first time ever, I came away from something wondering, did this even happen to the Waynes? Did anything happen? Is Bruce Wayne nuts as well? At what point? So let me. Okay. So in your opinions, PJ, at what point did the psychological break happen with the Joker with what was his name? Was it Albert? Uh, Arthur Fleck. Arthur Fleck, sorry. Arthur Fleck, what mm-hmm. happened in – at what point did Arthur have the psychological break, and at what point did he end up in the nuthouse, in mm-hmm. your opinion? Yeah, see, and that's true. I think it was confusing because I, I've heard some people say that the, the African-American woman that he was talking to the first time and the one that you see there towards the end of the movie is the same woman. And I'm going, but older, and I'm going, but maybe, but I'm looking at her and how she looked, and it that's not the same woman. And if they got someone else, they can always just take her and age the same woman if they wanted to. But this is two completely different women. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't think that's where they were heading. Yeah. Yeah. But I heard people saying, well, no, that was her when she was older, because remember when she says, hey, so why do you think you're here? And he goes, and then they show that quick shot of him banging his head up against the white wall in the white room, you know. Why do you think you're here on meds in the first place? And then he starts to tell it. So I thought that was a confusing detail. But to me, I feel like in the beginning, um, they were just saying, listen, let me show you who this character is. This is a guy with dad issues. That's why the whole thing with Murray was such a big deal. Yeah. And who loves mom but finds out later, oh, mom's got to go and now he has mom issues so here's a guy that the the main stable foundation for him mom and dad doesn't have and interestingly enough where i'm with you cole 
showing both the Waynes and how Bruce has both family members intact and they love each other. Nice juxtaposition to show you how crazy Joker is. So I do, I do appreciate it from that perspective. Um, but I would say I, I, I really feel like that he, they took us right down the right journey. They needed us to see why does this guy actually really start off thinking he's okay unless he doesn't have his meds. And I think the meds are the key because it's after the meds that that's the most bonkers he becomes. Yeah. Outside of that, he's kind of okay because remember when the kids beat him up and the one guy goes, man, those are animals. You should do something. But he's like, no, they're just kids. I shouldn't have ran up to the sign anyway. We're giving hints that this guy without meds is probably weird, but he's an okay guy, right? But when the meds are gone, he says, I have dark thoughts, dark thoughts all the time. And yeah. you haven't listened to word i've said and then later he says now people hear me so for all that to work i have to believe there's more truth than than uh you know mystique in there or you know kind of misdirection but i also I like that oh go ahead no i was gonna say because i believe that's they're what they're trying to establish there is who is arthur fleck first way before they establish who's the joker yes exactly and uh, and speaking to that really quickly I, one of the other takeaways I had was they did a remarkable job of making this character who becomes one of the more terrible villains in cinematic history just yes. within the context of the film incredibly mm -hmm. sympathetic yes. I mean you get this sort of Helsinki syndrome coming out of the theater where you, you're actually like not that bad <laughs> <laughs> But I think also I get it. Like no. Yeah, but what was brilliant is these scenes, like when he goes and visits his neighbor, and then all of a sudden they're like inexplicably just like instant lovers. That was the only point where I felt like, wait a minute, I'm you're, you're losing me. Mm -hmm. And then when you realize why, and then the fact that they chose as a director, uh, you know, as a production that, that Todd Phillips chooses not to give coverage and leave it to the audience to pretty much conclude he killed the, the woman and probably her son as well. Her daughter, yeah. Her daughter. I'm sorry, yeah. It's, um, it's been a while, and unlike somebody I could mention, I've only seen it once. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. I think that's good. I, you know, I, I think, so there's a lot of picturesque-type set up here like i love that scene i think as i've seen a couple of times the the scene i really enjoyed even more the second or third time is the scene after the kids beat him up and he's laying there in the ground i didn't see it the first time but if you notice the shot is they're back up they back up a little bit from him and what you see is all the trash they've been talking about in gotham mm -hmm. you see all the trash yes. him up and it's basically saying in that shot phillips is saying look here he is laying there amongst the trash because he's yeah. trash." Right, and he did it without. It was just that nice sound of that celloist that they had in the background as the soundtrack oh. playing there, and they did it without telling you, "Look, he's trash." Yeah, so exactly. Laying there, and they, they didn't the have street. to have a character say, "Oh yeah, there you go, trash clown" or something like that. You didn't have to have it spoon fed to you. And I'm glad you mentioned the the garbage strike, because yeah. I remember when there was a big garbage strike. I think it was in New York City in the like the 80s or something. And that was a wonderful, again, talking about not spoon-feeding your audience, that was a wonderful undercurrent that allows for the Joker movement because you have a, a Gotham City that's already on edge. 
Mm-hmm. And you have all of these disparate elements that are poking the bear. Mm-hmm. And then there's something to rally behind for that segment of the population that just needs an outlet. Yes. Because otherwise, yeah. none of that works. You have to have a social situation where, you know, why would everybody suddenly get behind the clown? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yes, they are it's, pissed. It's, they are pissed. They feel betrayed. They need to lash out at something. And now they have the, the catalyst is there. Yes. It's true. It reminded me of in Dark Knight when he Batman wanted to be something more than just a guy beating up criminals. He wanted to be a symbol. And he picked a symbol. And what did he pick? He picked the one that causes the most dread. In yeah. a way, that's Joker ends up being. What causes the most dread? A psychomaniac that you have no idea what their politics is because he doesn't have any. You yeah, know, especially for poor Andy. You know, I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> like, can I tell you guys the scene that just, that really just rocked me? There's several scenes that rocked me, but the one that really got at me is once he'd gotten the records from that orderly at Arkham and he kind of took off with him and ran and he was running down the hallway and then he found a way in the stairwell to just kind of stop and take a look at it. Yes. That scene of him sitting there getting the real truth of who his mother was and what his mother allowed to happen to him and seeing him laugh then. Because what I love about the movie is it keeps messing you up. Is he fake laughing? Is he real laughing? Or is he doing some combination? And there, Joaquin does two things. He gives you the sense of there's a painful laugh while laughing like can't help but to laugh. Uh, I, you know, can't cry. Couldn't help for crying for laughing. Right. Yeah. And then he also gives you the laugh that's maniacal at the end of it that says, and now things turn. And I thought, in just one scene? And yeah. all he was doing just yeah. wonderful. Oh, Absolutely the direction wonderful. was the direction was insane. Cole, Cole and I have often talked about how, if used properly, the, the, the comic book film, the medium-turned-film, can be spun in a million different 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 ways than just the superhero movie so you Mm -hmm. know you could have comic book horror movies you could have comic it's almost like war movies right you could have war comedies you could have war horror you know and and we're starting to see that a little more ant-man kind of started dipping its toe in comedy you know Mm -hmm. um you got your new thor movies that definitely lean towards a funnier you know they're they're action comedies what's that Mm -hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, you're starting to lean towards action comedy. You know, mm-hmm. we were hoping we would get action horror with um, the Doctor Strange movie. We didn't, but, you know, we're getting there. You know, the thing that this movie offered as a comic book movie that no other comic book movie has offered yet is that mm-hmm. this movie was challenging. There has yet to be a challenging comic book movie. You know, everything has been big blockbustery summary fair where you go in and, you know, you eat your popcorn. You know, the, the, the good guy is going to win even if the bad guy wins. Like, you just mm-hmm. you just know in your heart of hearts. I know that when Thanos did his snap, everybody lost their mind for mm-hmm. a week until they went on the Internet and said, oh. Um, but this movie was truly challenging in, in a way mm-hmm. that – you know, Apocalypse Now or Platoon or, you know, Taxi Driver or Deer Hunter or like Cole was saying before the show, Blue Velvet is challenging. It is going to, this film will challenge you to, yes. and and I don't think a lot of people were expecting that challenge to come out of a 
a movie based on a comic book character. And I, that's the coolest part of this movie. Absolutely. And I, I think before the show, I'd mentioned that, you know, coming off of this, I, I'm very anxious to see it again. But I felt that level of fatigue in an unexpected way that I felt with Blue Velvet. It it just beats you. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's that, it, the level of intensity and in that it continues to, you know, foist upon you and in a very good way mind you but you know you don't realize how much it's it's just this constant drumming yeah it's so engaging you don't realize can you bj can you compare it to another film that that you've seen in terms of the way you felt when you walked out of that theater after the movie um, yeah, I talk a little bit about this with, with Cole sometimes, but uh, it's it's the movie um, Hell or High Water, believe it or not. And I, I can't believe how many people have not seen that movie. But it's a almost a modern take of a, of a Western in a way, but done even better. I, Taylor Sheridan is the writer there. When I walked out of Hell or High Water, I was like, now that's how you do a smart Western if you were going to make it in today's time with technology and everything. And it was brilliant because the line between the protagonist and the antagonist is perfect back and forth. Instead of the old gunfight where you stand at the one end of the, of the OK Corral and I stand at the other end and we draw, they verbally sparred like this at the end of Hell or High Water with strong innuendos of, I'll see you down the road sometimes. Well, if I get <laughs> lucky, I'll see you before you see me. And it was just, and the way they went at that. So when I walked out of that, I went, "Oh my God, perfect dialogue! This is great." Then I go see Joker, and his dialogue when he gets on the show with Murray, and he starts to turn and let him know, "Hey, well, I'm just a clown. People just step over me every day. They don't think nothing of me. And what's up with people being rude? What's wrong with people being?" And he's starting to say stuff that you can see where you can get upset. And all of us have shook our fist at the TV or whatever before, and you're relating to him. And then he just decides to pop, pop, and then shoot him again, and then come up to the camera, and he's ready to start dancing. And you're like, wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. But you're still still standing by the fact that all of that happened. You think all of that happened in the film. See, I'm not not so sure. I wish I could sit here and tell you it did. That's okay. That's all right. I think, but I think the thing is, is it's, it's scarier, spookier if that did happen than if it didn't happen to me in a lot of ways, because a lot of stuff like that kind of does happen. Like if you go back and read what Manson was doing, I mean, the idea of he was going to get other people to go do the killing and rather than himself. And he, he taught them that it Helter Skelter, a Beatles song, that this is what you need to say. And we're going to put pig's blood on the wall and write die pig. So we think, so we make everybody think it's a race war. Cause he was trying to ignite that. That's crazy stuff. And that really happened. Yeah. So to see this joker, to have that kind of thing of, Oh no, I'm not political. I'm not part of the movement. I don't really care about anything. When he said that line, which some people might think it's a throwaway, that right. No, there it's not. Know, that is great enough to do what he's saying. Right. But, so yeah, that, that, yeah. Cause when I, I, I think ultimately I really feel that there are a lot of feints and uh, and provers and such, but ultimately I think that the reveals are such that by the time you reach the third act, there's a degree of certainty that what you see is what you get 
except when he's being introspective. And I think a lot of times he doesn't see. I think the the message to me was that he doesn't see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once he has hit that point, that he has drops. Uh, where everything is taken away from him and, you know, all of so much of his life is just a lie. And there are just so many aspects of, you know, everything has just been chipped away a little at a time. And it becomes that sort of uh, killing joke, one bad day yeah. Yeah. scenario yeah. that I think ultimately you reach that point where you've been given the reveal. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's like the prestige or something where, you know, once the reveal is there, you're like, oh, wow, that's all been right in front of me all along. And so there were so many little bits that might have seemed inexplicable that turned out to be such because they were all in his head. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, the Mm -hmm. whole his whole relationship with his neighbor, with Domino from Deadpool was. Yeah. She was brilliant, by the way. Not so lucky, Pierre. Oh yeah, she was incredibly good in that role. Um, it was all in his head. So well, you know what? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. So like, that's the part where I'm, where where I start thinking, well, what else? You know, I, and I can see where you're coming from from the standpoint of, you know, what are the chances that the the talk show host is going to invite some hack on the show? Well, I in almost reality. believe that. See, I I try to identify oh, they where do that all the time. Yeah, I tried to. Like, oh, that's true because like Arnie Barnes became uh, quite the uh, celebrity from Omaha Steaks, and uh, mm-hmm. Rupert G from Hello Deli. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I my my thing is when did when it for me and that's the brilliant thing about this movie is I don't have to be right. You don't have to be right. The right. end yeah. result is the same. Exactly. It doesn't matter what we See, think. He, happened yeah so what i what i'm thinking what i'm thinking is whenever you see the stuff that is fake like that even ever had a real relationship notice it's about stuff that's positive that's relational that he that he kind of wished he had right so there's the first time he sees the show he's first time we see him watching the show with his mom and murray and all of a sudden he fantasizes about that being like his dad because he has him in his dream he's saying i wish i had a son like you right so that makes sense that that is fake and then the relationship with the woman because it the stuff that's perfect that tells you it's fake because his world isn't perfect (laughs) his world is messed up like when we get the truth from the orderly as to the things that had happened to him remember it was so bad he didn't want to read any more of it he just said you know what i can't really give you this and let you right because he's knowing as he's reading that and the orderly asks him he says you say you're her her, your penny's son right he goes "Uh uh-huh and then as he reads that he's thinking oh my god is that what could he possibly be like if this was what was done to him? And notice just before that, he tells him like, Hey, uh, so what do you have to do to get into a place like this? And he starts telling them and you could tell that the orderly's putting it together. Now to me, that's real. That has to be real. And the stuff that his mother did had to be real. And the stuff that was done to him. So it backs up what Wayne had said completely about the mom and the orderly doesn't want to give it to him. He has to steal it from him. So that kind of makes me feel like that's the real stuff. So anything that was positive, good, 
that's the stuff that was in his head because remember his life wasn't that way and his mom named him happy even though she let him be abused horribly and she would call well, him happy like, about, yeah like like some sort of uh irony in there and one of the things that struck me is i kept having to remind myself once you got reveals mm-hmm. that you know you think he's nutty he's you know cuckoo for cocoa puffs because of mom and then when you get the reality you're like no they're just separately crazy yeah they're just differently crazy yeah and and that's, he didn't inherit that cray cray the first you know the first real big kind of break that we have is when he thinks he kills it you know on stage at the open mic and she's yeah. there and he kills it and all of a sudden his life is turning around you know exactly. and then and then his fantasy you know his his hallucinatory fantasy gets shattered by uh de niro when he when he has him on because he, he's almost sure de niro is going to talk about how great he was and you know true and, true and all of a sudden you know he gets smacked in the face by this yeah and but he's still just you know hold, holding on to this idea these scenes where he is happier right the scenes where he's mm-hmm. with her the scenes where he's in the audience mm-hmm. at the talk show the scenes where he's you know dancing with his mother and you know those are way more uncomfortable than the scenes where he's crazy <laughs> yeah for me. like you know because he kept his it wasn't two separate characters right he right. kept his crazy and just stacked a weird happy on top of it. Instead of saying, <laughs> this is me when I'm happy, this is me when I'm crazy, we're going to do two separate iterations of a character. He just kept mm-hmm. that same baseline and just stacked happy on top of it, and I did not like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. I like how you, you described that, and I think that's true. And I think we we love these, if you will, the, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde stories exhibited in one person because yeah. it's so much more interesting than a – uh, all the way straight good guy and all the way straight bad guy. There has to be some sort of rub or contention. And in this, you get that wonderfully here. The way Phillips set up the scenes, just the, the shots, like the idea of him bringing on Murray so early. Yes, That's exactly. Thought about his pain about not having a father figure, which would make sense why he would be willing to follow and find, you know, uh, Tom Swain, because he really does think that's his dad like i don't think he's faking that i think he really believes yeah, he, well he is so bought into his mother's delusions and mm-hmm. then to have that, that shattered mm-hmm. uh that none of that was real that she was nuts and he's already feeling like you know he's in therapy he is has a condition where he has to carry around this card and explain a very difficult condition he has to bear the weight of a very difficult childhood that he may or may not really remember at full Mm -hmm. and in the midst of all of that you know he can at least when he thought that was his mom he could hang something on nature Mm -hmm. that it wasn't all nurture or lack thereof and uh so I think that, you know, that uh, that alone, I think, really underscores the spiral into mm-hmm. madness 
and it allows for all of that to be very real. Uh, I love that we've been talking about this movie now for like 45 minutes, and even even now we still can't pin down what was yeah. real and what wasn't. And I think that that's brilliant. I, I still think my pitch for five sequels is. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, we have to get to that. But I I do want to touch on two things. First, PJ, can you present to can you pose the question to Andrew that you posed to me when we talked last night? You asked me a very specific pointed question about my opinion of this film and asked me to express it in a very unique way that I think has to be uh, presented here. Oh, okay. Let me uh, make sure I remember exactly how I worded that. <laughs> yeah, you, you asked me to describe this film. Yes. But in I, a laser-focused yeah. kind of way. <laughs> yeah. That, I'm trying to be like Penn and Teller. I'm foolish, you know, that where you're like, I'm trying to, to tell you without revealing to the audience gotcha. everything. Gotcha. So I would like to know, Andrew, then here's the question. It is... If you had to use one word to describe the feeling you had once you walked out of the Joker or Joker film, what was what would be that one word? Um, okay. Oh, see, that's that's difficult. Um, <laughs> yes. My initial, if this was like a, a psychological test, <laughs> it would be. I would say. I would say uneasy. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think. If I have to do I, one word, one mm-hmm. word, um, <laughs> God, um, yeah, it's it's a tough one, and so I wanted to, I wanted you to share my dread. Yes, like what Batman, did you say, absolutely. Cole? Did you do you have an answer? I did. I I actually uh, because it was very much uh, in Catherine and I discussing the film after, and this this wonderful. Uh, bevy of these these women who apparently were all like college roommates who get together once a month or once a quarter or I think it was, I think it was once a quarter and like one of them had come down from Oklahoma and and they were like sitting next to us in the theater and oh, kind, of, kind of gabbing about it afterward and it was just such a delight it really inspired Catherine to uh, try to bring what did you think back uh, even going so far as to invite them to uh Wow. to be on the show about this very film. But one thing that Catherine mentioned, and and I have to agree, and I just went with perfection, because they're really ultimately, I mean, we, we grouse a bit about the Waynes and all, but I really think that this was, it's among a limited number of films that I feel are delivered in their most perfect form. I would agree with that. I would agree with uh, that. You know, Sling Blade is one where nothing happens for no reason. I would say, you know, it was, it was, I, and this isn't a bad thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to make that clear. I'm not, I'm not saying this as a bad thing because the thing is, I love, I love psychologically torturous experiences like this film was. Right. I want to go to, there are two types of movies I love. Don't give me the middle, right? I want <laughs> either end of the spectrum. I want Avengers Endgame or I want the Joker. Don't give me anything in the middle. Like that's that's you know I, yeah. I want the really great horror movie 
or I want the really bad. I want Velocipaster. Like, you know, give me give me either end of that spectrum. So I came out of this movie harrowed. Like, almost uh, to the point where I didn't want to talk about it for a while. Yes. You know, I, I just, I, it was, I, I felt jumpy. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of in my own skin. Extremely anxious. Um, th- those are the feelings that I had when I left. Like, you know, I'm to, to the point where, and I told Lacey this, I'm glad we took separate cars to the theater because I didn't mm. want to talk about it. I, I, you know, I didn't want to express any feelings right away about the way this film made me feel. But mm. it made me feel the same way that um, Jacob's Ladder made me feel or Lost Highway, mm. or, you know, a lot of, like a like a Jim Jarmusch movie. You know, it, it made me really introspective and really think about my idea of what this character is. That, and I think this is the bigger problem, is mm-hmm. that as a comic book fan, and, and PJ, we've talked in the past, I know you're not as big a comic book fan as a Cole or, or I, but you're a pretty big comic mm-hmm. book fan. You, you, you're kind mm-hmm. of entrenched. Right. Yeah. And we grew up oh, with yeah. the Joker and we grew up with, you know, a, a thousand writers writing a thousand Jokers. Every every Joker's a little different. They've done their best to explain it. But that's what we grew up with. And and oddly enough, a million monkeys with typewriters failed to create Hamlet. But they did write a very compelling Joker story. They did. They did. That was published in the 90s. <laughs> it was published in the 90s. This this movie takes almost all of the ideals of the Joker and completely turns them on their head. And people would argue with me, well, the killing joke or, or the Joker's last laugh there, you know, everything's mm-hmm. it's pretty close. It's this, it's that mm-hmm. it's not, it's no. not, this is mm-hmm. a wildly compelling version of a Joker, um, uh, origin story. And mm-hmm. to the point where, you feel awful for any sympathy you might feel. I know. And and that's, that's the unfortunate thing is you do feel sympathy because of this tortured soul, but then you can't forgive the actions of that tortured soul. Um, And I think that that is why the most grippingly difficult to watch, to observe is the unflinching murder of his soon-to-be former co-worker. Or I guess mm-hmm. his, at that point he was fired. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the way in which he murders one and then just dispassionately dismisses the other of his mm-hmm. visitors. And just the sheer horror. And I'm sure there are people who are thinking, well, why didn't the little guy go and call the cops? What do you do after? <laughs> right. It's going to yeah. take him a month just to get his head around everything he observed. And by that time, if the narrative is accurate, the damage is far, far more done. And, you know, there's some small bit of anarchy reigning. So it's not like there were a lot of, you know, you couldn't just walk down the street and, and, and dial up the cops. It, uh but I think that that's an important scene because it shows this very unflinching violence. This um, it doesn't the camera doesn't turn away, mm-hmm. and you're forced to live in that moment. I would uh, put that with uh, the it's a film with Billy Bob Thornton that 
what is it? Uh, One false move, I believe it is, with Bill Paxton. Mm, mm, is that okay. the the, yeah. the heist movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is. There are the scenes of violence are stationary camera shots. Mm-hmm. It forces mm-hmm. the audience to have to watch. Yes. Yes, and I would say that the word the word Cole that I use or how I felt after watching this film. The word is violated, you see, because I understand that if I'm somebody who's a bully, I can create somebody like that if I catch them on that one bad day after several bad days in a row. Mm. Or I could be that person if I was a child who suffered trauma as well. And we know how much today a lot of the people that you see in prison today did not have father figures in their life. In fact, the the statistic is like 98% of the men that are in jail don't know their father. So when you have a father wound, and in this case a mother wound as well, and both of that's going on, you're about to help – like Joker says in, in Dark Knight, all they need is just a push yes, right? exactly. to go in a direction because you don't know the mental state of people. Why does someone all of a sudden decide to walk up into a Luby's and start shooting the place or exactly. any of this stuff? This stuff happens. And, and there, you are, know that, there are all these little subtle catalysts that yes, you could never and, put all of them together. What this yes. film allows you to do is get all of those little catalysts, but – it puts it in a very real world situation where you can see where dissecting his crimes, no one could ever really piece it all together completely uh, yes, in, in the, the aftermath. Yes. Well, and see, the violation part for me was I sat there and I thought, I can't cheer this guy on, even when he kills those Wayne executives on the train. Because even then, and yeah, they beat him up and they did stuff, but but I couldn't. But at the same time, I wanted to go, yeah, they got exactly what they deserved or whatever. And so me having to go deal with that tension that it showed. Oh, exactly. <laughs> feel violated because it was so it was so real the well, way that, King captured it that I had like, to deal with it. Well, right? like you I said, had they, to... they had it coming to them on the one hand, but at the same time, it's like – both parties mm-hmm. have this sort of sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. You know, the the, uh, the executives, the uh, you know, the educated, the the mm-hmm. well off, and you know, here's this creep who's, you know, he, he just won't stop laughing. So they feel like they're entitled to just do whatever and be violent and and abuse a weaker individual. Mm-hmm. And their victims' entitlement comes at the barrel of a gun, mm-hmm. and it also that scene wonderfully illustrates the kind of gun culture we have, where the ability to hurl death and destruction mm-hmm. thoughtlessly and effort, practically effortlessly. Mm-hmm makes it a very simple thing to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. had he had that pistol when the kids beat him up, I, I and I think, you know, going back to the perfection of it, one thing that did strike me is Gotham City has some piss poor detectives. <laughs> but haven't they always? 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, well I the think thing about it is, in the real world, that happens as well. Where you know, there were the the cops who came interview, you know, check in with Free Dahmer, and he had one of his victims still alive, and he basically sweet talked his way out of them coming into the into the house. Yeah. yeah. So these things actually do happen. Oh, truly, truly. Well, you know, it's it's it, that goes to that implicit bias, right? So. If you believe that he looks like a weak man, he probably couldn't do the harmful things that, he, that people said that he's done, and he just sells you on the idea that, no, I'm meek, I'm humble. There was no way I could ever do something like that exactly. to somebody. And, you, and so they yeah, buy it because they, they can see it. <laughs> well, and they would have interviewed his coworkers and his boss, and they're all like, you know, the guy's a little bit, you know. <laughs> well, they did, and that's why the, that's why the, the – Yeah, so they're, they're not – they're not going to take him too seriously. Well, see, that was interesting. That's why those two guys stopped by because the one friend was afraid because he knew he gave him the gun. And he knew that they would trace it back because yeah. of the bullet. Right. And so he was, that's why he felt like he needed to come over and try to tell him, Hey, look, if they come around and ask him, remember yeah. the, the short guy said, they didn't come ask me any questions. Exactly. And so you could tell he was trying to cut off something before it could get there because he knew I'm the one that gave him the gun, and they're going to find the bullets, and they're going to trace it back to my gun, and then he's going to probably tell him that I did it. So I've got to make sure he doesn't. And the fact that Joker's already ready. Like, remember, he grabs a pair of scissors. He doesn't know he's on the other side of the door, but he grabs them anyway. Yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. And did you notice when he was writing? He started off writing with his right hand, then he switched over to writing with his left hand. Wow. I didn't notice and that. I thought that was strange. Yeah, when he was oh, talking about hopefully nice. my makes sense. Hopefully my yeah. death will make life make sense, and he spells sense with money, whatever. So he switched hands. He stopped, smokes a cigarette. He was writing with his right hand, then he switched over, started writing with his left hand once he put the cigarette back down to continue writing. And I thought, man, they're pulling out all the stops to show you how he's using left brain, right brain. He's just all over the place, you know, you know until he decides to snap into focus as to what he's going to do. Like I don't believe he was going to kill Murray until he stood on the sideline and watched him talk about him. I think he really was going to well, try to blow himself up, but I, then... I think though that that when he kills, you know, because all of the the sole reason, the big reveal is, you know, I'm just here because of that gun. I just want to make sure that you and I are on the same page. I just want to use you like everybody else has used you. True, true. And he becomes the embodiment of everything that drove Fleck to this point. Sure. And he's not so much you know, out to kill a guy as, you know, he's just lashing out at this, you know, how dare you come to me on my day of my daughter's wedding? <laughs> oh, wait, no, I got that confused. Uh, uh, but, you know, I think that it, it was less a, uh, you know, a, a murder of passion or, you know, it wasn't even so much a murder. It was more just him lashing out at, at everything as embodied by like there was the last straw it was very you know? joker and and what i mean by that is there that is if there is a joker trope that is mm -hmm. a joker trope get on tv and kill a newscaster get on tv yeah. and kill a personality and mm -hmm. the way it's always portrayed in the comics and this is the one thing that i was like oh 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 yeah that's definitely the joker because the yeah. way it's always portrayed is like he's on there and he you know He's and everybody knows he's the Joker, so it was a little different in that sense. But he, the lead up to whatever Joker murder is about to happen, we 
as comic book fans know it's going to happen. So we're we're stealing ourselves for the page turn. The people mm-hmm. in the studio don't know what he's going to do because he's just like the the little guy, right? He's yeah. let people walk. You know, they'll deliver his message. Maybe he gasses them. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he shoots them. Maybe he stabs them. Nobody knows. So the fact that he turned on a dime and, mm-hmm. and put, you know, uh, five rounds into him was mm-hmm. for me like, oh, he just became the, mm-hmm. the Joker. He wasn't the Joker before now. He still was on the precipice of whatever he might become. Now he's the Joker. Now he's the Joker. Mm-hmm. It just happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that also, you know, once he has his sort of, it's almost like a birth. Yes. When the crowd come and revive him. And then he just goes into his dance. Mm hmm. I'm, I'm, yes. I 100%. Yes. Now, we, we can't talk about this film without talking about something I read back before I saw it about Todd Phillips um, or I believe that Phillips wrote as well as directed if I'm not mistaken I think you're right I think you're right I want to say that that was the case um, but he um, the the story the narrative was actually born out of what was described as in the midst of woke culture nothing you can't laugh uh, at anything yeah that mm-hmm. yeah and that. That this was a reaction to that. It was written and directed by Phillips. So Yeah. That's true. Um yeah, that whole thing. Um I think that's bullshit, but you know, he's entitled to that opinion. Um, I, I think that, you know, that it was probably a lot of pressures being felt because it seems to me and I a lot of this is, you know, sort of imposing an observation on the world, but it does seem to me that at times more and more and more, it seems like we're in this mad rush to accommodate absolutely everybody to the point where I was literally the other day writing in my head a satirical piece where these radio admin were talking about how a character in this radio spot is gay and like oh is is it going to be like some sort of indicator no but we just know that he's gay why is that the case because we have to have gay characters and and you know we have to accommodate everybody Mm -hmm. so but how would anybody know it doesn't matter we know that he's gay so we're covered you know and i think that there's it seems like we're in a mad rush where everybody's demanding, like, why are there no gay characters in Star Wars? Because it took place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you idiots. It's not Earth in 2019. Well, I think that what – if I was if going they to – They don't have woke culture in a galaxy far, far away, so shut the hell up. But, I mean, it, it seems like, you know, we have to cast um, – yeah, and you know, in in many ways, I I don't have a lot of qualms about like say uh, Tilda's is that right? Tilda Swindon is uh, yes. the ancient one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was it was inspired casting, but sometimes I think the casting is just like well we have to we have to change everything because you know comics from the 40s to the uh, 90s were a box of crackers. Well, they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's, they were, and if if. My stance is always if the if the casting 
means that I get a better actor for that particular role than 100%. Let's do yeah. that. Like, so often it seems like, you know, you, it's like a commercial for almost anything that has vignettes of families or groups or whatever. It seems like, hey, look, here's the lesbian couple for this commercial for Sanka. Well, so here, let me we have to acknowledge. It's like I I don't think we're failing to acknowledge the existence and the importance of cultural and racial and other diversity. If it's not in every pharmaceutical commercial. Exactly, exactly. That we I will agree with you on because I'm like, because oh, come on. Every story isn't about everything. The gay every, friend. Every story isn't about everything. I mean, and yeah. I think that the I think here's the here's the thing about this movie. I kind of want to change my answer from <laughs> PJ's question now that I've had a chance to think about it. Um, is that we are art is a art is allowed to be challenging, and I I, I fear that we are entering this realm of non-challenge. Um, and I don't want to say we're catering to every single person at, at all times, but art is allowed. This movie is allowed. This movie challenges you. It is a challenging movie. I felt challenged when I left it. You know, mm -hmm. I felt like exactly. I, had to, I had to think about this. I had to wrap my head around how this makes me feel, you know. And, you know, it's it's no different than our conversation a couple weeks ago about V for Vendetta with Kelly saying every time that her – she would – Every time she would go through a major life change or every time she would enter another chapter in her life, she would go back and read it and find something new, a new way to associate with it. That's, yeah. that's what art does. That's why you never look at a painting the same way. And this movie was, for all intents and purposes, that, right? It's going to challenge you. It's not that you can't be funny anymore. It's that I feel like we're being more and more afraid to be challenged and not – and not accept it as a challenge, accept it as a challenge and not as an affront. You know, um, I, 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 I don't want that to come off like I'm saying that we shouldn't have representation because we 100% should have representation. But people are allowed to be challenged. And when you're challenged, you're allowed to take a step back and say, how does this make me feel as a as a individual? And I think that's what this movie does. And frankly, I don't like the way it makes me feel. <laughs> right. That's that violation part that I was talking yeah. about. And, you know, I, I would, I would add this. I would just say that one of the themes that I thought were, was very well telegraphed and really put out there that maybe people might've missed was this idea that he kept talking about this lack of kindness, because really, if you think about it, when you go onto the internet and anybody makes any comment, there's always six or seven people who immediately oh, yeah. jump on that person and call them an idiot, call them a jerk, call them whatever because they didn't like Batman v Superman or because they did like The Last Jedi or because they did this or this or that. And I see that in every form, whether it's sports because I love sports, whether it's movies, I love movies, whether it's comic books, whether it's – if there's always people who – like Joker's saying, he's like, why – why can't people be nice? Why aren't people trying to be kind? Why is everybody so angry? Why is everybody so mad? Which is strange Why because so see how angry he is, right? It's exactly. And so the funny thing is about all of that, I really love that he brought that up is that, yeah, it's like, where did the kindness go? People talk about being a good person and ethics and morality and all this stuff. And we want our heroes, our football heroes, baseball heroes, basketball heroes, 
politicians, whatever. We want them to be good people. That is such good a good people, point. Yes, but good people don't get on the internet in five seconds and go, you're an idiot for believing this, or you're whatever for liking this. And yet that's what people do without even having to be trained to be antagonists. They just are. So in a way, for me in this movie, when Arthur keeps begging for what happened to kindness, oh yeah, it really like, is a masterstroke there, given he, what he's about to respond. There's with. that <laughs> there's that cut scene where he was actually just you know flamed off the internet for saying that Kelly Marie Tran was pretty decent in uh, <laughs> the Last Jedi. Damn it! Damn it, Cole. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. That was me who was flamed off the internet for, for daring to suggest that that Rose was not a bad character. Well, it's the Just... it's the one bad day thing that we keep talking about. You know? Oh yeah. And and that's been that's been the Joker's thing since the beginning. Is we're you're all one bad day from me, from being me. Like mm-hmm. that's it. Like you are one. You are you are one step from Kirk Douglas or Michael Douglas and falling down. And, mm-hmm. and well, there's a cut scene with Kirk Douglas. Is it? Did they, did they de-age him and put him in like James Dean and whatever that movie they're making <laughs> is? Um, you know, and I think that that's, that's the important thing to, to remember I, from, from where I'm sitting is, yeah, where is the kindness? But, but also like, I still don't know how much of this movie actually happens. <laughs> still, I'm still there. But I think film. that that's what's wonderful. Uh, years ago in the Dallas area, there was a uh, local critic who had a television program. I couldn't tell you it was on what the hell channel, but um, it was a phone-in program. And I actually got through one day when um, AI was out. Oh, yeah. Which, apart from what felt like a very tacked-on final bit there was otherwise a perfect film and i phoned in film because i wanted to point out and he was like oh you know he's just like got all happy there on the tv because i was saying this is what i call a thinking man's film and of course years later uh prestige would go into that joker is certainly in that category because it's the kind of film that the more you allow yourself or you choose to think about it the more you find yeah. And I think that's the important thing. So, you know, each of us are going to come away with our own interpretation of what was and was not reality, if any of it. Right. I mean, what really happened and where do we go from here? And what was interesting to me is I kept trying to connect this Joker with the Dark Knight Joker. Oh, yeah. It almost seemed like the perfect origin story for the Dark Knight Joker, except there were so many holes in that idea that no, that wouldn't work for well, this. I'm re- telling you, I, so but yet at the same time, it, it kind of pays tribute to all of the jokers. But here's so, yeah. so PJ, here's my pitch. This, yeah. The studio is not going to, this movie made too much money to leave well enough alone. And True. Joaquin Phoenix it, said, he, he loves this by the way. I do. I think it's, it, it, I love this idea. And Joaquin it, it, Phoenix it's good has said that if the script was right, he would come back into another movie, which I think is a horrible mistake. Horrible yes. mistake. So here's yes. my pitch. The the brilliant thing about the comics is he's he's the anti-Batman. Batman is defined mm-hmm. by his origin. 
to mm-hmm. the point where we have to have a Batman origin in a Joker movie. We can't we can't get away from a Batman origin story. I was watching an yeah. oatmeal commercial and it had a Batman origin story. And, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, being the anti-Batman, the Joker has really leveraged the idea that he does not have an origin, right? Which I think that mm-hmm. I, which I think they did so well in mm-hmm. Dark Knight Returns. I think that's something they really really did. You know, the, you want to know how I got these scars? Here's a different story yeah. every single time. Um, so here's mm-hmm. my pitch. Every year, the same time, release another Joker movie. Not the Joker 2, not the Joker 3, Joker. Same Just Joker, movie, yeah. Same mo- same same name. Okay? Mm-hmm. With another mm-hmm. Joker origin story by another director, another writer, another cast, thematically completely different. Just ever, just give me five more or four more Joker origin, so that nobody in each one have the, you know, have have the big the the big overarching plot points be the same, but mm-hmm. have you get there in different ways with different actors, so that you never know hmm. which one is real and which one is mm-hmm. fake, because everybody yeah. knows the Batman Joker. You know, and we've gotten everything from the Joker from the bat of Ace Chemicals, to. You know, eating eating um, eating push pops to you know mm-hmm. it, now now we have this so you know and in DC there are three different the Jokers multi-verse. now yeah there yeah. are three different Jokers not to mention twenty you know fifty two different Jokers from different worlds but in our world there are in in the main Earth there are three different Jokers now that it's almost like handing off the torch another Joker comes in and takes out the old Joker and becomes the new Joker you know with a different mm-hmm. origin. So give mm-hmm. me four more Joker mm-hmm. origins that have mm-hmm. nothing to do with the one. Now, now, now tell him who's your Joker. Uh, we, we, we need to find out PJ's Joker. Yeah. For continuity's sake. Yeah. Uh, my next Joker Five. would be, um, I, I think I would really like it to be Jack Black. <laughs> hmm. I want a Jack. I want a, I want a, a comedy joker story now still dark but a dark comedy jack black uh, maybe written by uh shane black no relation um and directed by shane black a la kiss kiss bang bang joker origin story yeah please don't get me started on iron man 3 we don't have time it's the best it's the best marvel movie Um, i was uh personally thinking of matthew mcconaughey well we can't do that anymore because now he's been cast as two-face in the new batman movie i wish i was two-face <laughs> i wish i was two-face well you know that's a that's an interesting pitch and i think it would it would work i think it's clever it'll never work um, and and what i, what <laughs> I and for me though the weird one in the room i don't want to see any more joker movies instead what i would say is take that same focus that you put to find walking things to be joker do that for the penguin do mm. that for the riddler do that for even maybe even king tut i want to see somebody else because at this point in stage of the game for me i ad- i admire and respect the creative ideas but i'm bored of watching someone just do the same thing but add a mustache or make him fat or hey. make him this it's too obvious to <laughs> quit making fun of superman so, so. <laughs> So for me, I'm saying that's good. That's covered. That's bad. There are people who line up and pay money for it. But I'd push it a different way no, and say I want I, something I, different because I'd love to see. This. 
I'm sorry. Yeah, I was uh, say, I'm, I'm with you from the standpoint of let's have something new. Yes. Don't, yes. don't just think, hey, this was success. Let's do it again. They're going to, though. That's the unfortunate oh, yeah, yeah. thing. Yes. Well, I mean, look what happened to poor Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had – DC spent 25 or 30 years leaving it the hell alone. Then it's like, oh, we got a money wagon here. Yeah. And that's all I'm saying is because at this point in the game, I, I like that, but I, I just think we're playing the same note but just playing in a different place on the piano. So And so instead of doing that, instead of doing that – I want a new experience. I don't want to be able okay. to go 20 minutes in. This is, I know what's going to happen. This is going to have to happen because if you're playing Joker this way with what I know about Joker, that means you're going to have to. Do it. So I, I feel like, like with Batman movies, I love Batman. I don't really care to see another Batman movie. I really <laughs> don't. I, I really don't. But I would love to see a, a Robin, Batgirl, and Red Robin team up and they take over Gotham City to help after Batman gets too old to fight anymore. Why'd you leave out Nightwing? Teenage, younger Why'd you group leave out Nightwing? Do. Why'd you leave yes. out Nightwing, PJ? Nightwing as well, right? All right. There, right? All right so you saved yourself. To me, the iconic other characters that Batman, Batman has a lot of icon, <laughs> iconic villains. Joker's just the top. But imagine if we got somebody who really embodied the Riddler and they played Riddler and someone who really did Penguin. And, and, and think about that. The challenge of taking something as ridiculous as Penguin but making them menacing, that I'd like to see. Yeah. It's not too hard to imagine the Joker being menacing. I've seen it many different ways. But Penguin? And then Riddler? How do you make Riddler so okay. dynamical? You know who I want all of a sudden for Penguin? What's that? You know who I want for Penguin all of a sudden? Uh, not Danny DeVito, please. <laughs> no, I want I want Peter Dinklage because Ooh. I always thought the best way you could present Penguin on screen, and they came, they, they played a little bit with it in um, um, Batman Returns or whatever the hell that was. Um yeah. And I and I loved Danny DeVito's Penguin. By God, that was an amazing take on the Penguin. But what I always mm-hmm. thought would be a wonderful take on Penguin, and we're getting way off topic, of course, is to have Penguin be this diminutive character, of course, but surround himself with the biggest, beefiest Schwarzenegger clone henchmen who mm-hmm. are freaking terrified of him. Yes. And you establish the reasons why they're all terrified of him because he's nuts. Yes. But, yes. and yet they have that sort of like Charles Manson family mm-hmm. air about them where they, they flock to him. No pun, well, pun intended. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would love to see that where you have this like little bitty guy who commands mm-hmm. the room full of giants. Mm hmm. Well, um, and imagine Riddler, because Riddler is difficult because a lot of times people will kind of fuse the Joker and the Riddler together, but the Riddler is another kind of damaged goods that would be fun He's to see as well. super damaged, yeah. Right? Because Joker wants to do crazy effed up stuff because he can, but the Riddler wants to toy with you and make it a game for you and then do some stuff. And so, Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? He's like, like a Hannibal Lecter type in a way that doesn't – maybe he doesn't eat you. He's like but, Jigsaw from Saw. Yes. Like yeah, except you just there walks you around. Yeah. yeah, see, and make him. And there's oh. a piece where you said make it like a horror slash superhero movie or comic book movie. Riddler could be that because you could. I mean, because that'd be pretty. Okay, terrifying. now I want Jordan Peele's. I want Jordan Peele's Riddler. <laughs> that'd be good. There you go. That'd be good. All right. Well, we need to wrap this up because we've been going now. <laughs> 
This has been we've been we've been <laughs> yeah. at it. This has almost become the ninety minute giant already. <laughs> so you would so so PJ, am I assuming you would um, suggest people go see this film? Absolutely, and not don't walk to the theater. Run to the theater, and then make or sure dance that, to the theater. Or you could dance, but don't the walk theater, home yes. alone. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Well, you could always just and, and if you do walk home alone, make sure you take the same safe alley that the Waynes took. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the safe alley, the <laughs> safe way home. Oh man, yeah, Cole. What about you? Oh, absolutely. I uh, this is as near a perfect film as makes in the odds. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, I don't think it. I don't know that it deserves. Uh, and I'm going to say this is an unpopular opinion. Like, sure. you know, I don't think it deserves the the adulation it gets in terms of being in compare it to, you know, a Godfather or a, you know, something like something in in those terms. I don't know if it, if it holds that kind of water, but as far as movies that have been released in the last 20 years, it probably is one of the best. It's one of the best movies I've seen in, in my adult life for sure. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't think it goes to the top of of the uh, you know of the top 100 list or anything, but I do think it falls staunchly in the top 20. I would I would say that Um, the best. I I think it's the most thought, the most thoughtful comic book movie we have yet, Um, and I think it's I I, I think it's probably the best comic book movie that we have in, in terms of actual quality. It's going to, you know, it's not as good in my mind as Winter Soldier, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm with you. Well, and and Joaquin Phoenix is no uh, Kelly Marie Tran, I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) (laughs) But but in all seriousness, though, I I have to say when they – the very first sort of viral teases were the little weird, you know, montage of shots of Joaquin Phoenix in costume and out. They were all sort of – meshed together so they sort of fluttered over each other Mm -hmm. and I thought oh great another Joker who just is a guy in clown makeup no thank you what the hell was I saying (laughs) (laughs) I I have to to out myself there that I had zero desire to go see this we've been burnt a lot though by by this you know promises of promises of grandeur from from uh you know really specific subsets of of types of movies and and i'm i'm glad that this wasn't one of them hopefully this sets a bar well i mean is is this the joker we deserve or the joker (laughs) we need Right. Well, my, and I think this is the Joker both. we need. We, both, both, actually. Yeah, we, we deserve this Joker, too. I just, We've been good. We deserve it. I just hope this sets a certain okay. bar for, you know, movies coming up that, you know, whether it's contextually the same, it, every movie doesn't have to be dark and challenging like this, but it's time to raise the stakes on these, on these genre movies. It's time to really step into the role well, of serious I, film, you know. I think that ultimately this falls squarely into my continual argument that, you know, by way of example, in the superhero genre and in the Warner's take on their DC 
treasure trove that they continually piss on. And you don't, it's like hospitality. You don't piss on treasure troves. But the thing about it is after dark Knight, the original, and we probably got a better movie for this, but the original plans for Shazam were dashed because it's not dark. People want dark. Dark's what sells. This is the proof of concept. That's all we ever need to do anymore. Superhero films, dark. We put the dark stamp on it. Marvel grossly disproves this. DC Warner continues to ignore that fact. And then they start to sort of loosen up a bit. But the thing about it is, regardless, dark, light, middle ground, don't make genre movies make good movies yeah. yeah make good movies that happen to be dark knight wasn't a good batman film it was a good film that happened to be about batman right true joker's not a good batman film it's a good film it's a damn good movie mm-hmm. make good movies well it's it, yeah. you know it's it's like i say about when and i'll talk about winter soldier till i'm i'm blue in the face but it's like I say about Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier is a hell of a, a an espionage movie in general. It's just a yeah. great spy movie, and it's a great spy movie that happens to be about Captain America. And you know, it was cast well, it was executed well, it had the right cast. That cast, you know, they happened. It happened to be about Captain America, and therefore you got a top echelon comic book movie. Um, you know, Ant-Man was a great heist movie, a great comedic heist movie that happened to be about a comic book character. You know, these these are... These and the are... thing about it is, and we're going to be covering this on an upcoming issue sometime between now and 2022, <laughs> because I'm, I'm have, getting damn close. We have an illness. I'm really That's what moving we well, well into 2021 already on plotting this show. But we, uh, we're going to do an episode at some point called I Didn't Know That Was a Comic Book. And we're going to talk about comic book movies that most people had no idea were based on a comic. And a good example of that for me is, um, crap, uh, A History of Violence. Yep. In which case the film was far superior to the source material. (laughs) Well, uh, you know. But But it was also based on a comic and most people didn't realize they were going to a comic book movie. Road to Perdition. Yeah. Those, mm. You know, those are all comic book movies. What? Yeah, they're based on comics. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's I had so no many... idea when I went to the theater. And in closing, I'll say I had no idea that Robert De Niro was even in this damn movie. And he was brilliant. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I, I had no idea going in like, holy crap, there's Robert De Niro. Oh, shh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, okay, okay. So uh, we're going to go ahead and close her out. Uh, PJ, do you have any plugs that you want people to know where to find you, where to get your brilliant insights? Absolutely. They need to go straight to YouTube and click on the Vega Bomber channel. Go ahead and subscribe. They'll catch my show, Fulfillment, where I sit down with the film samurai himself, Carlos uh, Salinas, and we talk about films from every perspective you can imagine. Uh, both universal, popular, and then, of course, indie-focused. Uh, and then, of course, I'm always going to be posting on Facebook under Vega Bomber and also Instagram and Twitter, Vega Bomber. Oh, and also, uh, where else can you find uh, Fulfillment? 
Yeah, so Fulfillment also is aired live on Dallas On Air Live, and that's every Sunday on the second and fourth Sundays of the month. We are on at 9.30. Um, if you don't catch it live, you can still catch it on the Vega Bomber channel as we posted there as well. There you go. Nice. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming and giving us your insights. When this topic came up, I, you know, we both were like, we should get PJ. Well, PJ. (laughs) There's nobody else we want for this. For sure. Well, this has been fun, and you guys are going to, you know, next time you're in town, Andrew, you're going to have to come on and be on fulfillment with me. So we can really just. Don't threaten me with a good time, buddy. I'll do it. (laughs) I'll do it in a heartbeat. That's awesome. And, we'll have and of course, I have to, uh, to bring in the uh, the Dallas on air connection because, of course, on the first and third Sundays of every month, myself and the incomparable Eddie Medina can be found on the Rancor Pit Live from 10:30 to 11:30 a.m. Central, and on the third Sunday of every month, like this coming Sunday, uh, you can also catch from 9:30 10:30 a.m. on Dallas on air. Isle of Toys, and uh, this month I am going to have a wonderful guest to talk about dinosaur toys. This is the oldest, literally, uh, toy I ever had a thing for. So I, I, I was silly for dinosaur toys and still am. That's awesome. That's I just awesome. Jurassic World Triceratops the other day. So, <laughs> And, um, of course, you can find us on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Twitters, at HK Comics Show. Um, thank you all for listening. I can't believe we've been doing this as long as we have to have just amazing guests like PJ come on and grace us with her, their presence. Like it's, <laughs> it astounds me to no end. Um, and we wouldn't be doing it without you guys out there listening. So we really, really oh, appreciate it. Um, go see the Joker and um, join us next week for more Hey Kids comics. Say good night, gentlemen. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Not bad, not bad. You work on it a little bit.